are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Lord, I can say, I can say different things, God, but what I want is for each one of us to hear your voice tonight. What I want is for each one of us to, to hear your heart tonight. What I want is for each one of us to, to see that your word speaks about who we are in such a profound way. And that, that that would motivate us and compel us to live a life that shows who you are to the world, Lord God. Jesus, I just pray for tonight. I just pray that you would prepare our hearts for what you want to say tonight, God. I just pray that you'd be silencing voices of accusation, voices of shame. I pray that you'd be silencing any voice that tries to, um, to get in the way of what you want to do in our hearts tonight, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'd be ministering to us as we look at what your word has to say about our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can stay standing. Stay standing. All right, here's what I want you guys to do. I know this is different. I, I, Travis only gave me a week's notice, so I had to think of like different things. Can we get my sermon on there? Uh, what I want you guys to do before I get into my talk is I want you to find somebody that you've never met before, and I want you to answer this question. Take turns answering this question. Who am I? You have 90 seconds each. All right, 90 seconds each. So find somebody you've never met before, and I will tell you, the first person will go, and then I'll tell you when the second person can go. Oh, it's not loud enough. All right, switch. Person number two, you now have 90 seconds. All right, that is it. You guys can have a seat. Hopefully you all made a new friend. Good job. Now, just by a show of hands, I want to get an idea. How many people found that really easy to talk about yourselves for 90 seconds? <clears throat> a few of us. I know when I did this exercise for the first time, I found it pretty easy. Who, find that, who found that really challenging? All right. Who started with describing what they do for work? Anyone? It's totally fine if you did. <laughs> uh, who started with, like, family stuff? Anyone? Um, the reason why I wanted to do that exercise is because how we answer this question, who am I, is such an important reality. Um, how we answer the question of who we are is something that shows a lot of how we understand life. It shows a lot of how we understand God. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, how we answer the question, who am I, is one of the most important questions that we can answer. Um, this whole idea of identity, I'm so glad that Travis gave that introduction. It, like, like he said, we can think that this is, this is like Christianity 101. This is the basic. We've heard this all before. But the reality is we live in a culture, we live in a time where there is a battle for our identity. We live in a time where, where we, everywhere we go, things are forming us and things are shaping us. John Tyson says, from the moment we are born, we find ourselves in the midst of a culture that forms us in a certain way teaching us to get our sense of who we are and why we are valuable from certain things. Our very thoughts about ourselves and why we mattered are all shaped by cultural and social environments. There's a battle for our identity. 
There's a battle for our identity. And as followers of Jesus, we need to find our identity in who he says we are. We need to find our identity in what we just sang about. You're a good, good father, and I am loved by you. That needs to be core to our understanding of ourselves. Because if it's not, then, then that honestly is the root of a lot of struggles that we face in our life. It's the root of a lot of fears that we face in our life. It's the root of anxiety. It's the root of depression. It's the root of so many different things that, that we can face. And so before I get into this, um, into my talk tonight, I, I wanted to take some time to share a bit of my testimony. Um, because I have personally really wrestled with this whole idea of identity. And, um, and it's something that... Um, that as a pastor, as, as somebody who, who has always felt called to ministry, um, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't necessarily prepared for it. And the other thing is, I was talking to someone about this, this talk tonight that I realized about identity, is so much of our understanding of identity is subconscious. How often are we thinking about our identity? It's not really that often. But the reality is every choice that we make, the way we interact with people, the way that we um, present ourselves, all of that's rooted in our identity. And it's a subconscious thing that's always going on in the back of our mind. And, and I, I hope that my story can help you see kind of how this is at play. And uh, I apologize if some of you have heard a lot of my story before. But um, for those of you who've never heard it before, I think God, God's used my story in some pretty cool ways. And so I hope that tonight um, it can minister to you as well. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to get myself off the hook for this Who Am I game um, again, my name is Donovan. My wife, Kirsten, and son, Daniel, are at the back there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Daniel's three months old. <laughs> and uh, we also have a daughter, Ava, who had to go to bed. It was, is, uh, she, she was a little, a little tired. Um, and, um, and I, like, I, like Travis said, I'm a pastor at McCurden Baptist Church. I, my dad is a pastor as well. My brother's a pastor as well. My sister has a heart for ministry. It, it runs in my family. We love to serve. Um, I was that kid when I was like eight years old. We'd go around a circle and everyone would say, Who do you, what do you want to do for a job when you grow up? And they'd be like, oh, firefighter. Oh, you know, like pilot, all these fun things. It would get to me, I'd be like, pastor, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> it's something that God's always laid on my heart. And um, and <clears throat> try to think of anything else to say. I, I'm usually good at this Who Am I game, but uh, when I'm in front of a large group, I'm having a harder time. Um, but one of the other things that I'm really, I'm really passionate about seeing people grow closer to Jesus. That, that's my number one heart, is to see people grow in their knowledge of Jesus. Um, to see people come to understand how good he is, how beautiful he is, and to orient their lives around him. And so hopefully tonight that shines through. But uh, this is just part of my testimony. It's not my entire testimony. But um, when I was in high school, I fell off of a cliff. Um, we don't know exactly how high it was, but we, that we think it was around 70 feet tall. And um, I was going into grade 11. I was hiking with my family. Don't ask me how it happened, because I don't remember. Three days of my life are completely wiped from my memory. I don't remember three days um, around the accident. All we know is that I, I wanted to take a picture, and I ran ahead of my family, and... The next thing they know, they heard me. Nobody saw me, but they heard me as I was falling. And like I said, I didn't come to or start to understand what was going on until about three days after the accident. And, and I remember uh, the doctor saying to me, you're in for the long journey. Uh, I had broken 16 bones. 
I broke, um, I had lots of internal organ damage. They weren't sure the extent of, of any brain damage that I may have faced. Um, there was one point in those three days where the doctors weren't sure that I would make it. Uh, they weren't sure how, how, I, would, <laughs> how I would do. And, and I remember them saying all this to me and feeling really overwhelmed. Like I said, I was this like good Christian kid, right? Like I had a heart for ministry. I had, always, I, I, I had my life kind of in a good place, right? Like I'm like, what? What did I ever do to deserve this? Like all of these kind of thoughts, you know, when you're, when you're 15 years old, these are the kind of things that surface. And, um, and I remember, um, but I also remember just a deep faith and trust that God was in control the whole time. Uh, my mom brought a, a CD player. Anyone know what those are? Um, <laughs> a CD player into a, our hospital room, and she, we play, she played the song, Blessed Be Your Name, on repeat. And here I am facing all of this um, trial, and we're listening to Blessed Be Your Name over and over and over and over again. And um, that's when I really started to realize that miracles had already been happening. Um, the, um, one of the most... <laughs> I'll, I, I, I'll probably get a little out of order, but pretty, pretty much the day after my accident, when things were looking really bleak, really grim, um, my parents were praying for me, and somebody was joining them in prayer, a friend of my parents, and as he was praying, God told him to open the Bible to Psalm 118, verse 17. And so he opened the Bible to that verse, and that verse says this, I will not die but live and proclaim what God has done. And so he spoke that verse over my life at that time. And again, I don't remember this. I was unconscious. I don't know any, I, I didn't know what was going on. But uh, the weight of that verse has really shaped a lot of who I've been since then. And um, <clears throat> so fast forward, um, we started, because of my dad's role as a pastor, we're, we're well connected. Uh, we were getting letters and emails from across the world. People were praying for me. And we were seeing miracle after miracle happen. Uh, when, when the doctors initially diagnosed me, they said, I could be in the hospital for a couple of months. They said, you may not be able to go back to school this year. They said, you may be, like, one of the things I specifically remember, I broke my tibial plateau, like, just the tip of my knee here. And he said, you're going to have to wear a brace for a year. And he said, you may not be able to start weight-bearing for six months. So just all of these things were what the doctor was saying. And uh, I'm no word of a lie. Two weeks to the day of the accident... The doctor sent me home. Two weeks to the day. <laughs> it's amazing. <clears throat> it's not over yet either. So I get home from the hospital, and um, as much as it sounded like a good thing, I really wasn't still doing that well. You can talk to my mother about that. But um, I started getting really bad migraines. And so uh, after about being home for four or five days, we had to go back to the hospital because these headaches were not going away. They were just getting worse and worse and worse. And so. I got an MRI, CAT scan, all of these things, and what had happened is my, my skull had been fractured, and there was a little, um, my sinus had a little hole in it, so every time I would breathe in through my nose, a little bit of air would leak into my brain, and so I actually had like a pocket of air forming in the front of my brain, which explains the headaches, and, um, and so I was in the hospital again, I was facing a very major surgery, and, um, but I remember just overwhelming peace, just thinking, God has brought me this far, like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna leave me, like, I don't have to worry about this, and so we spent these days in the hospital, and, um, the day before my brain surgery, I went in to get x-rays of all of my broken bones, and remember, I had a lot of them, (laughs) 
including the, the knee. And the, the doctor says to me, he says, all of your bones are completely healed. This is four weeks after the accident. He took the, he took the cast off of my arm. He took the cast off of my leg. I said, are you, I literally asked my doctor, I said, are you sure I can start walking again? He said, he said to me, as soon as you've recovered from your brain surgery, you can start physio on your leg. Amazing. Praise God. And so the, um, the brain surgery happened. Another God story. The morning of the brain surgery, my dad reads through a devotional that picks a random passage every day of the year. And on the day of my brain surgery, the passage my dad reads is Psalm 118. <laughs> How, like, <laughs> God's so good. But uh, so the brain surgery, everything went well. Everything, they were able to fix everything up. And uh, after the brain surgery, I remember the doctor would come into. He would come into the room with a flashlight, and he would shine his light in my eyes, and he would say, can you see? We're like, yeah, I can see. He's like, are you sure? We're like, yeah, what's, what's going on? He said, when they did the brain surgery, they noticed that another thing that had happened was my orbit bone, the one that holds my eye in place, had been crushed. He said, you should be blind in one eye. <laughs> From what we saw when we opened up your brain, he said, it looks like your optic nerve was, was like severed. <laughs> And he said, you shouldn't be able to see in your one eye, and in your other eye, you should only have minimal vision. And um, praise God, I have no issues with vision at all. And um, <laughs> and it's, it's amazing because a couple years later, I, I went to an eye doctor that goes to my church, and he was saying, we need to get you to like uh, a really specialized uh, uh, eye doctor, and so I went to one of the top ones in the province, and they ran all these crazy tests on me, and, and basically he said, it, from, if any of you understand kind of how your eyes work, is when you suffer any head trauma, your eyes show that. Like your eyes reflect head trauma that you've been through. But he basically said to me, he said, when I look at your eyes, it looks like you've never sustained head trauma in your life. He's like, your eyes are completely perfect, which is just crazy to think about. Um, but so... Um, the amazing thing is, like I said, it looked like I may not be able to go back to school that year. It looked like I was facing this huge, long healing journey, um, but God did some amazing things. He, he healed me quickly. There was this incredible testimony, and, um, and, and basically, I was back in school mid-September. The, the accident happened in July. I was back in school mid-September. I was leading worship again by the end of September, which was really crazy because after my accident, I couldn't even turn my wrist at all. Like, I only could go about that far. And so I'd have to play guitar kind of upside down for a little while. <laughs> but there was a while where I was able to turn my hand over again. And another crazy thing, um, <laughs> this was the thing my parents were not looking forward to, is in October, I met with the doctor for the final time, and we asked him the question that my parents had been dreading is, would I be able to play rugby again? <laughs> I was in grade 11, you know, so. And uh, he said, yes, you've been, you've been completely healed. We don't see any reason why you wouldn't be able to. Amen. And so, yeah, praise God. What amazing. He's so good. <clears throat> and so fast forward a couple of years. And, and again, I, I was 15 when the accident happened. Now, what do you think some of the things that people said to me after the accident were? Like, just shout it out. What would you say to somebody in my shoes after something like that? Save for a reason, yeah. A miracle, yeah. Just shout it out. All these things were said to me. You're not going to get it wrong. I'm just, wow, God is good. All these things, right? Um, 
what I felt like, the biggest thing that I remember people saying to me is, wow, God must have this amazing plan for your life. And, and you know what? That sounds really good. But you know what? That became my identity. My identity became God must have this amazing plan for my life. Look at me. And for the next couple of years, I shared my testimony in lots of places. I got to do all these amazing things, lead worship at conferences, lead worship at retreats. And, and it was awesome. And I was really like, I felt like I had, was kind of doing it. I'm doing this thing for God. This is great. And it was actually on my 18th birthday. I was at something called Worship Invasion in BC. It's kind of like Resurgence, but in, uh, in Vancouver. And they were, um, they did, I don't even remember what the night was about. But uh, they did an altar call at the end of the event, just for anyone who wants more of God. And I go forward at all of those. It doesn't really matter what they're talking about, uh, just because I always want more of God. But the, uh, I go to the front, and, and I'm standing there receiving prayer. And no joke, the worship team starts playing, Blessed Be Your Name. And as I'm standing there, I feel just the weight of God. And, and I, I don't know about your theology or all this, but I feel like I got slain in the spirit. I just couldn't stand anymore. And I'm lying on the ground. And I felt like God speaking to my heart, as close, as close to audible as the voice of God has ever been. He said, I've saved you for a reason. This is for my glory. This is for my glory. And again, because I had let this become my identity, I let the accident become my identity. I was making it about me and not about God. But there was actually something even deeper going on. Again, like I said, identity is a subconscious thing, right? We're not thinking about our identity often. And so underneath all of this, there's something extremely sinister and extremely negative happening in my heart. Because as much as I'm doing all these great things for God and God's speaking through me, I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still going through stuff. I'm still um, not doing enough for God, all of these things. And in order to give some context to the story, you need to understand that uh, two weeks before my accident, we were working at a summer camp, Camp Caroline. And um, there was a car accident, and four of the summer staff died in that car accident. It was extremely difficult for our whole staff for the summer. We still, it's still difficult for, for us that were there when that happened. And, um, <clears throat> and so I was on staff. This was after that experience on my 18th birthday. I was back at Camp Caroline on staff, and I was struggling with deep anxiety. Again, I, I had gone through this amazing story, but, but my life wasn't, I wasn't perfect. I wasn't doing that great, I thought. And so what was happening is I was having these, these, this anxiety. I didn't know where it was from. I didn't know why. And um, the mother of one of the people who died in the car accident was sharing her testimony to the staff that summer. And so I was sitting there listening, and, and she actually said, she said, after my son died, when Donovan had his accident, and we saw God heal him, that was when my faith in Christ came back. And, and this was an amazing thing. Yes, I agree. God, praise God. God is good. But do you know what's going through my head? Shame. Because what I'm thinking is, Sean should have lived and I should have died because Sean would be doing a better job at life than me. Because my identity was no longer found in who Christ said I was. My identity was found in what I could do for God. And I was never doing enough because I can never do enough for God. Do you see why identity is so important? And so, and, and, and I wish I could tell you that the next day everything was better. It wasn't. It actually got far worse before it got better. I went through full-blown anxiety. 
um, clinically diagnosed anxiety. I had to take a three-month stress leave because I just could not handle my emotions. I didn't know what to do with them. I, I, um, I was it was such a difficult season. My, she was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife Kirsten's father passed away in that season too. It was just such a tough season. And, um, and I remember kind of once it had all, once we'd kind of gotten through this season, um, I, I just need to share this because I think it hopefully will rise up faith for any of you. Um, but uh, there was one day Kirsten and I were together and I was having a panic attack and it was bad. Again, it had no rational reason why, just my emotions were going crazy. And, um, and I remember in that moment just saying, God, I cannot handle this anymore. Take this from me. I need you to heal me from this. And he did. I have not had a panic attack since. Literally. And, and I know that's not everyone's story. I know that's not everyone's story. But I believe that in sharing that, hopefully faith can rise up in some of you that God can heal you of mental, of mental disorders. Um, but anyways... After all this season, I was, I was going for a walk. And again, like I said, my identity is found in what I can do for God. All of this stuff, I'm still struggling with that. And the way that I used to pray was just so kind of ridiculous when I think about it now. I'd always be like, God, I just, I just want more of you. I just want to do more for you. Like open doors, all this, blah, blah, blah. Lord, I just want this. I just want this. And I was on a walk with God kind of praying like that. <laughs> and I felt like God said to me, why are you praying for what you already have? Why are you praying for what you already have? You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You do not need to be praying for this identity. You need to be praying from this identity. Because you are my son and I love you and you don't need to earn my love. You don't need to do anything for my love because as, as, as long as it's about what I can do for God, I'm setting a bar that says once I get here, then me and God are good. Well, guess what? You get here, then the bar just moves over here. You're, you're never gonna reach that gap on your own strength. It's all about receiving our identity from him. It's all about receiving our identity from him. And so that's a little bit of my story. <laughs> Um, so now I'm going to start preaching. Um, but here's the reality. We need to be aware that the, our culture that we live in is not neutral. Um, it's, not, it's not like um, the culture that we live in is, is actually attempting to form our identities, right? We live in a world that actually ties our identity into the things that we do or the things that we feel. Um, we live in a world that ties our identity to uh, sexual orientation, ties our identity to what we do for work, ties our identity to our socioeconomic status, ties our identity to what we may have to offer. Uh, here's another one, ties our identity to what we could potentially purchase, <laughs> right? We live in a culture that, that tries to, to form us as consumers, form us as, as, um, as, as people that, that are not formed in the image of Christ. Again, the reality is that culture is not neutral. We are constantly being formed into something, the question is not if we are being formed. The question is, what are we being formed by? Who are we being formed by? Because the moment that we begin to attach our identity to things that are not Christ, those things become idols in our life, right? And an idol is basically when a good thing becomes a God thing. It's when anything in our life is placed above God. 
And so um, I'm just going to get a little raw here, but if our identity is in, is, if my identity is in my marriage or in my, ch- in my children, then they're going to become idols for me. If my daughter ever screws up, it's going to affect me, right? Um, I, if, our, if our identity is in our singleness or in wanting a spouse, then that can totally crush us. If, if we enter into a relationship and our identity is tied to how that person's going to satisfy us, that could completely crush us. If our identity is found in our job or in our position, um, even in the opportunities that we may get, if we don't get an opportunity or if we lose our jobs, then who are we? Um, if our identity is found in our, in our friendships even, again, these are all good things, then the reality is our friends aren't perfect. They're not God. They're not going to always be there for us. If our identity, and another thing is we can often find our identity in our sin. And what I mean by that is, um, especially for people that may be struggling with addictions, those things can kind of become your identity, you know, and, and really all you think about is, is am I ever going to be free from this? I could never be free from this. Um, I know for myself and for other people, we can find our identity in our sickness too. We start to say, I am enter whatever you you feel is your sickness, and then all of a sudden that becomes who we are. There's a story in in, uh, the Gospels where Jesus meets a blind man, and he says, do you want to be healed? I always used to think, of course, why wouldn't you? But if your identity is found in your sickness, then you can, you kind of live in that and stay in that. So the question isn't, are, are we being formed? Is our identity being formed? The question is, what is our identity being formed in? I love N.T. Wright, and he, has, he says this about identity. The Bible has a good deal to say about who we are as human beings and as members of God's people and followers of Jesus. Not at least that we are made in God's image and called to be people in whom that image is being renewed. We thus find that to hold in our minds and hearts what the Bible says about who we are and to do our best to live by that clashes head-on with our culture which questions and challenges not only the Christian view of who we are, but all fixed and settled views of personal identity. And, and what, what he's basically saying is that the, the Bible and who the Bible says we are is actually going to, it's going to clash with the culture. Because the culture, again, is trying to, to keep our identity out of something that is so solid and firm. And so what I want to do is something different, um, something different than we've ever probably done at Resurgence. But... Um, all of these passages are identity passages in the scriptures. And so what I want you to do is choose one. Each person just choose one passage. And I want you to read that passage. If you have, if you're, if you have access to the internet, try to read in a few different translations. Uh, we're just going to have some light music playing in the background. And then um, what we're going to do is, I'll leave that on the screen so you don't, you don't have to worry. Um, what we're going to do is, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak out of your passage, what's one word about your identity that he wants to highlight to you right now? And so Ephesians, I've already kind of mentioned Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so some, a word about my identity in Christ is seated with him, right? And so what we're going to do is, we're going to take time in the, in the, the quiet space and then I'm going to move that whiteboard over and put it right here in the center. And there's a bunch of markers there. And so what I want us to do is I want almost all of you to come up and write that word on the, on the whiteboard. 
as a sign of this is who God says I am. And as we do that, the worship team is going to lead who you say I am. Um, but again, I, I want to encourage you, and then I've got a few more ways to talk about how we live out of this afterwards. Um, but I just want us to take some time to just let him speak to us about who we are. So just pick one of those passages, read it out. If you don't have access to a Bible, then hopefully someone around you does. And then um, in about three, f- five minutes probably, we'll, uh, we'll do the exercise with the whiteboard. Let's just stay in this place a little bit longer. You're just going to keep the music going. I'm just going to read some of these off. Follower of Christ. Complete royalty. Heir of God. Alive in Christ forever. Free. Known. Redeemed. Chosen. Sojourner. Victorious. Child of God. Adopted. Handiwork. His workmanship, raised with him, greatly loved, chosen by God, delighted, redeemed, free, hidden in Christ. Hmm. That's who he says we are. That's who he says we are. Hmm. Yeah, you're so good, God. You're so good, God. Let this truth move from our heads to our hearts. Let it move from our hearts to our reality. Jesus. Thank you, God. You're so good. You're so good. <laughs> I want to stay in this place, um, but at the same time, I do. God's laid a little bit on my heart to talk about how we live this out in everyday life. And so let's just kind of press pause. And then after I say a bit more words, then we'll go right back to the same place. Cool? <laughs> All right. Uh, if you guys want to get that on the stage, that'd be sweet. <clears throat> All right. Have a seat, everybody. So, um, wow, that was amazing. Do you want to do it? I just want to where people can see it. Like, you want to take a picture of it or like... Is it that heavy? If it's too heavy, then we can leave it on the ground. Do it. Here's the test. How strong? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Nice work. Wow. That's so cool. All right. So now we're going to do an exegetical definition of each one of these words. Brace yourselves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So the question that is on my heart for the next uh, however many, just a few minutes is, how do we actually live out of this? How do we actually live out of this? Like I I started out by by talking about how our culture is going to fight to keep us from living out of this. Our culture is going to try to keep us in bondage when the Bible says we're free. Our culture is going to try to keep us in fear when the Bible says we are overcomers. Our culture is going to try to keep us looking for love anywhere but God when we know we are loved and chosen by him. And so what are some of the ways that we actually remind ourselves of who we are in Christ? How do we live out of our identity in him? Um, The first way that I want to propose is through worship. And uh, how many of you have read the Passion Translation? 
it is an amazing translation of the Bible. If, if any of you are like reading the Bible and you're kind of like, I need, I need something fresh, like, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how else to say it, but there's just a season of my life where, where I just needed a different kind of take or, or a different look at the Bible. And so I picked up this, it's called the Passion Bible. It's kind of like the message. It's a paraphrase, but just amazing um, way of unpacking the scriptures. Um, Romans 12 in, in this translation reads this. Beloved friends, what should our response be to God's marvelous mercy? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideas and the ideals, opinions of the culture around you, and be transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Just love that. Like Romans 12.1 has become such a familiar verse, I think, but I love that different take on it. Um, but it's this whole idea that when we give ourselves as worshipers to Jesus in every area of our lives, he actually reforms us to start thinking this way. And I just want to quickly talk about how that works. Um, so worship is essentially... Um, giving worth to something. Worship is essentially saying that, that this thing that I am worshiping is worthy of, of myself, worthy of my devotion, worthy of my praise, worthy of my affection. Just like we're all being formed by different things, we are all worshipers. We are all worshiping something. Again, the question is not if we are worshiping, the question is who are we worshiping? And so when we worship God, when we give ourselves to the worship of God, it transforms how we live our lives because we become like what we worship. Remember what I said earlier about identity making idols of things, right? And so if we're worshiping relationships, then, then we become obsessed with not losing them, right? Again, this is all about identity. If we're worshiping money, we become greedy. If we're worshiping status, we become really, um, we become envious, and we compare ourselves to people. But when we worship God, when we give ourselves to worship of Jesus, we become like, like Christ. Um, one of the things that, that I've really been thinking a lot about over these last few years, and when I think about identity, is, um, and, and identity and how I'm living the Christian life, is, is how do I actually do the things that God has called me to do? What does it actually mean to live the life that God's calling me to live? And I think it all starts with worship. It all starts with our theology. And theology is essentially how we answer the question, who is God? Our theology, our understanding of God is extremely important. I, I pretty much mention this every time I preach. But A.W. Tozer has a quote that says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the reason why is this. Let me show you. Our theology impacts our identity. So if we think that God is withholding, if we think that God is, is kind of like a slave owner, or if we think that God created the world and then kind of checked out, that's going to impact how we think about ourselves, right? If we think that God is, um, let's think about like, if we think that God is like a boss that's really kind of not a good boss, <laughs> then all, every time we mess up, every time we make a mistake, we're going to live in fear, right? If we think that God is just kind of distant and checked out, 
then obviously our identity is not going to be as a son or a daughter because we, we, we're going to be so consumed with, with um, just feeling alone. And so our theology, who, how we think of God impacts our identity. And out of that, that's how God leads us to what we're called to do. It's not the other way around. If we start with activity, doing the right things for God, then all of a sudden our, our identity becomes the ro- in the wrong things, Right? And so we need to give ourselves to worship of God because that is where theology takes root in our lives. We read that in Romans 12.1, right? In, in giving ourselves in worship, in giving ourselves entirely to God and saying, God, I want you more than anything else, what's happening? And, and if we do that in a way that is in line with the scriptures, what's happening is our understanding of who God is is shaping our understanding of who we are. And out of that place, we live for God. Do you see the difference? right? And so um, just really, really simply, so if our theology of God is that he is a good father, we sang about that before, what does that make us? Children, sons and daughters. What else does that make us? Brothers and sisters, right? And so because we're children of God, because we're brothers and sisters, we can partner together in what God's doing, and in the way we live our lives. But if we're trying to just be good kids because we have a daddy who's, who's mad at us or who doesn't love us, then, then we're not gonna, our identity's totally gonna be in the wrong place. And so the first way that we remind ourselves of this every day is by giving ourselves to worship. Um, <laughs> I've, I've actually, uh, I see a counselor, I'll admit it. Um, it, I think everyone should see a counselor at some point in their lives. But one of the things that, that she said to me last time I saw her, and this is really interesting, she said, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you so that you could figure out who you are. Because <laughs> I realized I'm still in this place of like, identity is like, I, I need to figure it out. But the reality is, it's not about that. It's about worship. Because in the place of worship, God forms our identity. Um, the reality is when we come to something like this and we're singing all these songs, there's something going on in our hearts, I think, where God is actually reorienting ourselves. We've, we've been surrounded by garbage all week long in a lot of ways. But here we are on a Saturday night and we're saying, I'm going to focus my heart on you, Jesus. And as we focus our hearts on him, we push aside all that other stuff and he starts to re-infuse in us who we really are. Um, James K. Smith he uses the language that worship rehabituates our hearts and reorients our desires. Essentially, what that means is that as we worship God, our hearts are being, being turned to who He wants us to be, and our desires are also being transformed. Again, we become like what we worship. And so our identity is closely tied to a life of worship. The next way that we live out of this is through continually giving ourselves to growing in our relationship with God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, is a verse that is really important and I think should be one that we're thinking about often. Paul says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in your absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, why I think that verse is important is because it tells me that once I pray the prayer to, to welcome Jesus into my life, or once I, I decide to give myself to Christ, that's not the end. That's the beginning. And so Paul's saying to the church in, in Philippi, work out your salvation. 
It's an everyday thing, receiving your salvation from Christ and allowing him to transform you. It's something that's not just a one-time thing. We could have an amazing encounter with God tonight, and I believe that many of us will as we reflect on this and ask him to speak to us. Um, I think some of us are going to hear his voice for the first time tonight in a really profound way. The reality is, it's not just a one-time thing. We're called to live out each day receiving who we are from Christ. We need to understand that our identity is something we're going to constantly have to fight for, to live from. It's not just a one-time deal. Jesus wants to transform us at the level of our identity, not just our behavior. And as we grow in Christ-likeness, our understanding of who we are will be transformed. One of the ways that I think we grow in, in this is through learning to hear his voice. Again, we live in a culture that has so many different voices that are always speaking to us. So how do we identify the voice of our good, good father? In John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Now, how many of you have ever worked with sheep before? Any of you? It's horrible. <laughs> I do not recommend working with sheep. Sheep are so dumb. <laughs> okay, get this. We had to move we had, this is a really funny. We had to move a bunch of sheep from the pen to the truck. And uh, the way that we did this, I kid you not, we had to put a bucket on the sheep's head, and then we had to direct it like this, and it would just go wherever you directed it. It would just walk blindly with a bucket on its head. The other thing that's about sheep is they're like, they are followers um, to a fault, and so uh, I, I know this because I lived on a farm in Ontario for a few months, but um, one of the things that my uncle told me was that you have to be really careful about a hole in the fence because if one sheep gets through the fence, they're all going to go through the fence. They're, they just follow. But one of the things that I learned about sheep, and this is, this is really profound. I was reading a really short devotional book on Psalm 23, and this person was talking about, um, about shepherding. And what would happen back in the day when Jesus was telling these parables about sheep and when David was writing these, these songs about uh, being a shepherd and reflecting on the Lord as our shepherd, the, what would happen is at, at some point during the day often, multiple shepherds would gather at the watering hole. So just picture total chaos. You got four shepherds and you got like hundreds of sheep around. Just total chaos. They're all drinking from the water. And um, what would happen is one of the shepherds would walk away and he would just start calling, hey, sheep, come, follow me. Hey, sheep. And you'd have hundreds of sheep. You'd have all these shepherds. But as soon as the shepherd, as soon as your sheep's shepherd started walking away and would call, the sheep would know to follow because they knew the shepherd's voice. They wouldn't follow the other shepherds because they knew the shepherd's voice. I think that's why Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice because we're hearing so many voices, but I think he knows that deep inside of us, we can recognize his voice because his, his word, first of all, through his word, we recognize his voice. Um, but also, I, I don't know if, if any of you are parents, but one of the amazing things is that after both my son and my daughter were born, I realized that they recognized my voice from their time in the womb more than anything else. Like, my son would be crying and I would just say, Daniel, it's okay. And you could tell he recognized my voice. It's amazing. What if God's voice isn't this distant, far-off, 
thing that we need to figure out. What if it's the most recognizable voice that we know? And we just need to listen. And so we need to be growing in our relationship with him every day. God, who do you say that I am today? (laughs) How do you want to speak to my heart today? How do you want to reveal yourself to me today about who I am? Um, and then when, when something happens and we hear a lie about ourselves, hopefully we're, we're learning to recognize that as we grow in Christ-likeness. So we grow in our relationship with him. That's how we live out of this. Another way is we reject other identity influences. The things that we know are forming us in a negative and godly way, we need to reject them. If we're listening to to garbage, if we're watching stuff that's making us think less of ourselves or or taking us away or or in relationships that is causing us to question who we are in Christ, we need to reject those things. Um, I'm going to go even further and say if we're listening to biblical teaching that that isn't in line with this, we need to stop. (laughs) Biblical teaching, I say in quotes. Romans 6, 6. Romans 6, 6. This is, this is phenomenal. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self was crucified. The old identity, everything that's not of this is actually crucified with Christ Jesus. When we're living out of our old identity, we're resurrecting what Christ has already crucified. When we're allowing ourselves to be shaped and formed by things that keep us living in bondage, that keep us stuck in sin, we're not living out of the fullness that Christ has called us to. And I think some of us have this, um, some of us have this bad theology about um, that we are actually not holy before God. Some of us have this bad theology that we uh, that God doesn't see us as He sees Christ. And and as long as we hold on to that sort of thing, we we won't be free. The the reality is, yes, life is a process, it's a journey, but our old selves have been crucified with Christ Jesus. And so whatever we keep doing that keeps us in bondage and keeps us away from this, we need to stop. We need to stop. We need to stop letting that influence us. Um, And finally, this is the one-on-one of identity. But the biggest way to live out of our identity in Christ is through daily reminders. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's this amazing, um, amazing instruction from the Lord to his people. Uh, it's this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So first of all, God's reminding them of theology, who he is. And then he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the cool part. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. (laughs) How do we live out of our identity in Christ Jesus? We literally put this everywhere. Again, we're going to have so many different things telling us who we are, but we need to keep this in front of us. God had to tell his people 
to, they, they had to do this practice every day they would recite that passage that I just read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with thy heart, soul, and mind. Every single day they would wake up. I think they recited three times a day. And they actually would tie um, a rope around their wrists as a symbol that they were bound to Yahweh, to Christ. So they had a physical practice that they did every day to remind themselves of their identity and remind themselves of who God was. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know how you want to keep reminding yourself of this. But whatever that word is that you wrote down here or that God reminded you of during the reading, figure out a way to keep it in front of you. Uh, One of the things that my brother-in-law does that I love is he actually sets reminders on his phone all the time. Um, And so every, like, uh, couple hours when we're hanging out, he'll get, like, a buzz or whatever, but it'll say, like, Holy Spirit prayer or something like that, right? Yeah. And so that's just one way, like, if it's something like that, you can say yourself a reminder that says, I am beloved of God, you know? It could be that simple. Other people like to write things on their mirror. Uh, Other people like to uh, have a playlist or songs of worship that speak these things. But what are the ways that we're daily reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ? Because when we are sure of our identity in Christ, this is the good stuff. When we are sure of our identity in Christ, one of the first things that I want to say is we break free of the tyranny of comparison that we live with. And we are released to truly love people. We can't love people when we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. When we're constantly thinking that that we need to put up a face in front of someone. We can't truly love somebody if we're living from a place where our identity is not sure of who we are in Christ Jesus. We can't. It's impossible. As long as I am trying to earn Christ's love, as long as I am trying to earn a platform or earn a pulpit... I'm going to be constantly comparing myself to people. I'm going to be constantly comparing myself to Travis and be like, oh man, I'll never be as good of a preacher as Travis. (laughs) Like think about, that's like an identity statement. But that's the sort of thing that God wants to set us free from because when we're not comparing ourselves to one another, when we're living out of this place, we realize that all of us have been given something from God. All of us have been given something from God, and, 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 and Travis has an amazing anointing on his life. Karis has an amazing anointing on my life. You have an amazing anointing on your life. We don't need to compare ourselves to one another. We celebrate one another, and we love one another because we're all sure of our identity in Christ, and then out of that place, we're released to love. We're released to lead. So when we're sure of our identity, we break free from needing to compare ourselves to one another. It's gone. Comparison kills love. Another thing that happens when we're sure of our identity in Christ, this one's a little weird, but it's amazing. (laughs) We become a thermostat and not a thermometer. And what I mean by that is, you know, what what, what does a thermometer do? All a thermometer does is it tells you the temperature of of a place, right? But a thermostat sets the temperature of a place. When we're sure of our identity in Christ, when we're living out of this, when we allow ourselves to be, to be living from a place of seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we become a thermostat where we walk into a place and we can actually set the climate of that room. We can set the culture of that room. We can bring love and light into places of darkness. We don't need to become like the places that we go to. We bring Christ into those places. One of the amazing things about Jesus is that he touched lepers. 
Jesus touched lepers. Nobody did that in Jesus' time. If you touched a leper, you'd become unclean. No one would touch you for years. But here's the thing. Jesus knew his identity in Christ. He knew, or he's in himself, sorry. Jesus knew his identity as a son, and he knew his identity as beloved of God. And rather than when Jesus touched things that were unclean, Jesus didn't become unclean. When Jesus touched things that were unclean, the unclean things were made clean. That's what happens when we're sure of our identity in Christ. We walk into places carrying the presence of God because we are sure of who we are in him. And we actually can shift atmospheres in rooms. We can actually bring light and life into places that are dark. People that are hopeless, we can bring hope. People that are anxious, we can bring peace. People that are hurting, we can bring healing. Because we're not just going to conform to wherever we go. We're going to be sure of who we are, and then where we go, we'll conform to Christ. And uh, finally, when we are sure of who we are in Christ, we understand that we all... We all can impact the cultures around us, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. One of the things that, uh, that resurgence, it, it, we pretty much hear it every week, every time there's a resurgence gathering, we believe there's a leader in every chair. Every single one of us are called to do something extraordinary. We believe that. Um, it doesn't need to be flashy, it doesn't need to be big, but simple obedience to Christ in every moment is extraordinary. And when I'm sure of my identity, I'm not, com- again, we're not comparing your ministry to your ministry. We're not, it's not about that. It's about God's called me to love my neighbor. That's extraordinary. I can do that really well because um, my identity is as a son and daughter of God and I can love my neighbor really well. I can love the people that I work with really well because my identity is found in Christ. There's a leader in every chair. And as we live out of our identity in Christ, we will see the places that we interact with start to change. It it may not happen overnight. It's a process. It's a journey. Um, But but God will use um, the situations that that we go through to to draw others to himself. Um, Worship team, you guys can come back up here now. I'm not really sure where where to go, so I'm just going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a second. Yeah, Jesus, you're so good. We can move this thing now. We don't need to. Josh is a good-looking guy. You don't want to have to block him. (laughs) You got it? Awesome. Um, hmm. Yeah, we're going to take some time in worship. And and again, like I said earlier, I kind of want us to go right back to where we were before as we were singing Who You Say I Am. Just that, that space, that presence. And, and what I want to invite you to tonight, if you've never heard his voice before, if you've never heard him say who he thinks you are, I, I just want to say right now, I just want to pray for you in Jesus' name. God, anyone in this room who've never heard your voice speak to them that they're beloved son or beloved daughter, anybody in this room that's never heard that, that, that you, you want to be in, in every part of their day, that you care about every part of their life. Anyone who's never heard that from you, God, I just pray that tonight you'd open their ears to hear your voice. Lord Jesus, 
Your sheep hear your voice. We believe that 100%. And so, God, we just ask in Jesus' name, reach anyone in this room that's never heard that before from you, that you would um, you'd re- release that now. Yeah. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you as we sing these songs, just engage with God where you are and just let him speak to you. Just let him wash over you what you need tonight. Uh, there may be others of you that are really struggling with your identity and, and, and actually like really struggling with what's on that board there and you really want to. Maybe you know it all in your head, but it's not a reality in your heart. Uh, we're going to have a prayer team here at the front and I want you to come forward. Don't be afraid to come forward tonight and receive prayer. Um, and prayer team, I want to encourage you to prophesy tonight. I, I want to encourage you, prayer team, to ask the Father, who do you say this person is? And release that over them. You, you, you may be really surprised. It may be something really simple, but I believe God can use that. And so I want to encourage you, if you need prayer tonight, do not hesitate to come forward. Uh, Yeah, let's stand together. I think there's others of you in this room, you just want more of God. Go for him. Go for him. Let me pray. God, I thank you for what you've shared tonight through your word. I thank you for what you shared tonight about who we are, God. I just pray in Jesus' name for your truth to just fall in this place, Lord God, that the lies of the enemy that are keeping us in bondage would be broken in Jesus' name. That, Jesus, we would stop believing things about you that keep us in chains and in bondage. We would stop believing things about you that keep us in fear. We would stop believing things about ourselves that that are so formed and influenced by our culture that we can't even see you. I believe there's, sorry, I believe there's some of you in this room that need to repent tonight. Maybe your, your business with God tonight is just to repent and say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've let other things form my identity. You need to hear God's voice tonight saying, I'm so proud of you for saying that to me. I love you so much. So yeah, Jesus, if any of us in this room just need to repent tonight, I just pray that we would come to you with that posture. And God, that we would lay ourselves down at your feet, be filled with your spirit, and be able to live out of a place of fullness. Ultimately, Jesus, as we sing this song, I just pray that that wherever we're at, God, you'd meet us. Just thank you for how you want to release your spirit tonight in a profound way that we would be sons and daughters of you, sure of who we are in you, unafraid. I give you all the glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, the front here is open. If you just want to come and worship at the front, kneel down however you want to respond in worship. Prayer team is here. If you need prayer, please don't be afraid to come forward. Lots of different ways to respond tonight. Take advantage of this time.
Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.